Welcome to Critical Value, the podcast from the Urban Institute that explores issues of significance for research, policy, and people. I'm your host, Justin Milner. It's graduation season, and around the country, high school and college seniors are busy wrapping up final papers and exams and getting ready to walk, strut, or even dance across the stage. For most students and their families, graduation is a time of celebration and pride of accomplishment. As a symbol of your new status as university graduates, you may now move the tassels on your caps. But with that can come a sense of uncertainty about what should happen next, especially for the class of 2019 who are just getting started in their careers. All these people with degrees, we feel desperate. We want to feel fulfilled. We want to feel like we're needed. I'm concerned about the future in terms of that gig economy and the lack of benefits. I feel that's a huge problem. And this class is facing a job market that's constantly changing. Now, experts predict that millions and millions of jobs could be taken over by a computer or a robot in the next 20 years. So what advice do the experts have for the class of 2019 and for all of us, really, as we look to an uncertain future job market? How can we best prepare people with the skills they'll need to join the workforce of tomorrow? And how do we figure out which skills employers actually want? To answer these questions and more, we talked to Urban Institute senior researcher Shane Spaulding. Shane has been focusing on this topic as part of a project at Urban called Next 50. As Urban celebrates its 50th birthday, Next 50 looks at how high-quality research can help changemakers accelerate solutions to the nation's most pressing challenges in the decades ahead. You can check out more about Next 50 at next50.urban.org. A lot of Shane's work has focused on the idea of lifelong learning, which we'll talk about in a minute. But first, we spoke to Shane about what advice she has for the class of 2019 as they think about their future career moves. So for high school students, figuring out what kind of path they want to go on. But so for every sector, this means something different. I think for high school students, partly it's about finding their passions. But then we know that employers really care about experience and finding opportunities to To get work experience and job experience is really key. And just exposure, I think the exposure to different industries and sectors can help young people figure out the path they want to go on. And this exposure can start with a summer job. Here's Shane talking about her first job. My first job was selling cookies at the Sweet Life cookie store. And actually, it was really um, great. I reflect on it. I had to wear a pink t-shirt and white sneakers. And I made my first cappuccino, but I was a really good employer. So it was a summer job and they took all of the people, all of the employees in this summer job to go see Phantom of the Opera in Los Angeles on a bus. And I just thought, wow, like this employer, like there's no reason why this employer needs to care about a summer worker who's 15, but it really was meaningful. It made me think differently about sort of the ways that employers can support young people in their development. So it's great when young people can find their passions, get some work experience, and get exposure to different industries. But how worried should they be about automation and technology making jobs obsolete? Yeah. So, I mean, every sector we see being transformed by technology and people worry about the robots are coming. But I think 
you know, if you look back at history, the sort of projections about massive job loss have never really come true. There's always been like replacements and new demand and new um, areas of work. And so I expect that will be true. One thing people can focus on are soft skills. We can't predict the future, but I think there's a lot of indication that a lot of the soft skills are going to be really important in a future labor market. The ability to communicate with people, to work in teams. I think you can develop soft skills in a number of different places. I mean, certainly your first job is one of the best places to develop soft skills. Gives you the practice of navigating challenging things at work, hard boss, making sure you're there on time, all those kinds of things. So the future workforce will have to be flexible in the face of a changing job market. The ability to navigate job changes uh, is going to be really important. And we know that people change jobs a lot. That's still going to be the case. And so being able to adapt to the changing labor market is going to be really important. And this is where we get to the concept of lifelong learning. Lifelong learning is the idea that people always need to gain new skills to be successful in their careers, in their work. And so it's just making that possible. I think if you think about learning happening when you're 18 to 22 or 26 or something, doesn't really allow for that sort of to come into people's lives throughout their working lives. So part of lifelong learning is getting past the idea that your education only happens when you're a young adult. I mean, come on. It just makes sense that in a rapidly changing economy, people need to have opportunities for training and learning throughout their careers, even if you're a fake parent in a movie. That's why somebody's mom just enrolled in college. (laughs) I'm referring to myself. I'll see you around the quad. Nobody says that, mom. Well, bring it back. And there's plenty of corny Hollywood movies about older adults going back to school. Shout out to my boy Rodney Dangerfield and the Triple Lindy. But in reality, a lot of today's college students are older than 25. In fact, the majority are what the Department of Education would consider non-traditional students. Here's Shane. The Department of Education has a definition of non-traditional student, and it's based on a variety of things. But it's, you know, if you take time off when you leave high school and going to college, so... Um, It's about when you go to college. It's also about whether you're independent from your parents, whether you have a job, whether you have your own children, if you're older than 25. So this whole group is about, I think it's somewhere a little bit over 70% of the college population. And in a lot of ways, the sort of traditional design of college doesn't meet the needs of those various groups. And even though non-traditional students are actually the majority on college campuses, these institutions can't always keep pace with their needs. You can imagine like how complex uh, your life is if you have to take care of your kids and go to a job and go to school. And there are a fair number of people who do combine those things, but they need a different schedule, a different set of supports, different kinds of flexibility. The sort of semester start at the beginning of the year might not work for them. And then for older students, too, I think some are going back to school to upgrade their skills. And so that also requires maybe a different kind of program. They just have different needs in terms of what they're trying to get out of their education. So the current system of education and training could use a reimagining of sorts to better meet the needs of today's students. It's called a system is a little bit of a stretch because I think there are a lot of different 
pieces of what it takes to provide people with education and training. And it's not necessarily a connected system. But currently, right, you have a set of higher ed institutions that provide two-year and four-year degrees. You have a set of training providers that are outside the higher ed system. Um, You have the workforce system, which is really about helping people, mostly people who are unemployed or helping employers to upgrade the skills of incumbent workers. So you have um, various pieces. And I think as we envision a future system, we imagine one that would better serve, especially these non-traditional students, and that it would provide people with what they need throughout their working lives. The second part of the equation is employers. In an ideal system, the skills and training people are getting align closely with what hiring managers are seeking. And then I think the other piece of it is just making sure that what people are learning is really connected to what employers need and demand. And there is often, I would say, mostly there's a disconnect between sort of employers and industry and higher ed institutions and training providers. Shane says that some businesses choose to invest directly in training their own workforce themselves, but a lot of that investment is focused on higher skill levels and not at the entry level. She thinks they could also partner more with educators to shape what students are learning. So I think there are opportunities for businesses to invest in that way directly in their own workforces and provide their own workers with supports they need to gain skills and to advance. But then there's also a role for employers in terms of shaping the training and education programs that colleges and other organizations are providing, communicating what skills are needed, what kinds of certifications are needed, what are the things they look for in entry-level employees, how they screen and hire people. Deepening this connection between employers and education providers can not only create more job-ready graduates, but it can also help diversify the workforce. And we know that there's a big focus in the corporate world on diversity and inclusion. So being able to connect with education and training providers in this way, it can help employers meet their goals around diversity and inclusion if they can attract more diverse workforce. So the more we can strengthen the connection between educators and employers, the better equipped we'll be to face a changing labor market. And the healthcare industry is a really good one to think about because we know there's projected demand for healthcare workers of various kinds, like at all different levels. And we know that it's an industry that's changing quickly. Um, and so all of those things mean that the, what's the education system needs to be more closely connected. As part of the TAC grant programs, which is a $2 billion investment in community colleges under the Obama administration, there were a number of initiatives focused on healthcare, manufacturing, areas where we saw growth and the need for change. And then a big focus of that effort was trying to create stronger connections to employers and industry. One approach that really seems to be paying off is work-based learning programs where students get a chance to learn on the job and earn a paycheck. So I think there's a real opportunity to expand work-based learning Apprenticeship is is a strategy that has really strong evidence of effectiveness. In apprenticeships, people have classroom training, they learn on the job, they get paid, they have a mentor or supervisor on the job. So it really provides a very 
robust experience and one that's well connected to what industry needs and demands. But there are other forms of work-based learning that colleges across the country are experimenting with or have implemented for years. So that, you know, internships, co-op education programs, which have a work experience is sort of, you can earn credit for the um, work experience. Another innovation on college campuses are simulation labs. We see examples of employers really helping to support and invest in different kinds of simulations on college campuses so that students can get that direct experience. They can actually work on the floor of a factory, but it's on the campus. They can have a simulated experience of working in a hospital with using technology to have patients and just that whole experience. And programs that combine both academic and technical learning in the same classroom are also showing a lot of promise. IBEST, the Integrated Basic Education and Skills Training Program, it's from Washington State. And a lot of colleges are adopting this approach across the country. But the idea is that you can learn those sort of academic skills the same time that you're learning the technical skills. And part of the benefit, too, is that what motivates so many people to go to college, right, is really their job, their career. And what often happens is they languish in courses that aren't related to their job. They have they're in developmental education courses or remedial education courses, and they're not able to make that progress. And so this approach really tries to combine what, you know, so learning those basic and fundamental skills needed for the labor market with like the technical skills for specific jobs. As we think about creating systems that support lifelong learning, one important thing for educators, training providers, and employers to keep in mind is the idea of career pathways. These supports are designed to help young people and adults get the training and experience they need to advance to higher skills and higher paying jobs rather than languish at the bottom of the industry. The career pathways model is one sort of approach to thinking about lifelong learning in that about thinking about the various steps that you might take along a career path and the support you need to get there. Um, There's an organization in Chicago called Instituto Progreso, and they run a number of programs. They actually recently started their own college. But one of the things they're trying to do is really support students along a pathway to a nursing degree. Nursing is a great job. There's growth projected, well-paid. There's you know, we just know there's a huge demand. We know there's going to be a huge retirement of nurses in the near future. But there's a lot of people that just are at the bottom of that career ladder. If you're a home health aide, you're a, you're a tech, a tech uh, in a hospital. It's a lot of steps to get to be a nurse. And there's a need for one of the barriers for people can be even just academic skills. So building some of those foundational academic skills to help people be able to be successful as a nurse or other kind of middle-wage job in the healthcare industry. And as a final thought, Shane says it's important to keep in mind the different types of supports that today's students might need to be successful. One thing I think is really important for students is providing them with various supports they need while they're in an education and training program. And one issue that we know is important is childcare. So many students are parents. And so there are examples of colleges and workforce systems that are really trying to support the childcare needs, along with the other supports people need, like 
you know, financial advising, help with transportation, housing, all of those kinds of things can really get in the way of someone's progress. As always, we'll close with some key takeaways. Here's three things you need to know. One, lifelong learning is the idea that people always need to gain new skills to be successful in their careers. This will be increasingly important in the face of an unpredictable and ever-changing job market. Two, there's a big opportunity for employers to help shape and prepare tomorrow's workforce by deepening their connections to educational institutions and training providers and communicating what skills their industries will require. And three, a reimagined post-secondary education and training system would better serve non-traditional students, provide people with what they need throughout their entire working lives, and make sure that what people are learning is in line with what employers need. So that's our show. Thanks again to Shane Spaulding for speaking with us and providing these great insights. If you want to learn more about lifelong learning or the Next 50 initiative, check out next50.urban.org. On the site, you can download the full report that Shane produced on lifelong learning and also check out some of the really interesting questions that are animating our work over the next 50 years. Big shout out to all of you that have left a review on iTunes for Critical Value. We're up to 134 reviews. Can we make it to 150? We're going to give away a free copy of the report on lifelong learning to the 150th reviewer. So go ahead and take those three seconds, go to iTunes and drop five stars. Thanks so much. As always, huge thank you to the Critical Value crew. Kate Villarreal was the producer, and we had help from Katie Smith and Dave Connell, and our sound editor extraordinaire, Riley Byrne from Podigy.co. That's P-O-D-I-G-Y dot C-O. Our theme music is by Moby. For everyone on the Critical Value team, this is Justin Milner signing off. <laughs>